0: All right. Oh, there's my sound person. Ah, I was scared. I thought she had abandoned me. (laughs) Good morning. Um, Good morning, Second Service. Um, As Pete said, I'm Scott Oakman. I'm a member of the volunteer preaching team. Uh, My wife, Anita, who is our lovely and capable sound person, and I have been uh, members or part of River Heights here for a little over 28 years We live in Eagan, we have four children, and in about uh, 18 days, uh, one hour, and uh, roughly 54 minutes, but who's counting, our youngest will be moving into his dorm at UMD, and we will be entering our empty nest phase. Um, But uh, most of you probably know Anita better than me, um, as uh, my work as a hospital psychiatrist at Regents Hospital keeps me away from here. about two Sundays a month this summer, and I also have a number of other uh, hats at Regions and Health Partners and Hennepin Healthcare, where I've had a uh, educational role for the last 10 years. I'm also medical director for Hudson Hospital's uh, substance use disorder programs, but uh, it's been our privilege to consider River Heights our spiritual home, and I keep up with uh, things here online, if not in person. But um, this is... Uh, number seven in our summer series called The Miracles of Jesus, and um, I got to pick my favorite miracle of Jesus, which uh, by all appearances is his healing of an apparently severely mentally ill individual. And as timing would have it, Regents Hospital is having a drive for personal care items for our inpatient mental health uh, patients. And so I uh, brought a box, so if anyone remembered to go to Target or Walmart or Cub and pick up toothbrushes or deodorant for our guys at uh, Regents who are... uh, homeless, mentally ill folks who are getting discharged with needs for their bodies, um, I've got a box out there so you can participate in this uh, um, drive along with Regions employees um, today. And uh, Some folks afterwards also had asked uh, how long this is going on. It's actually really just for Regions employees, but I thought, ooh, it's relevant so I'll piggyback on it. Uh, If you want to Bring them by our house this week. I'll make sure they get to Regions, but um, just appreciate you um, being concerned for the patients that I take care of every day. Um, So I just found out a couple of weeks ago that this series actually has theme verses, and that's from John 20, uh, verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And we've heard from a variety of people about a wide variety of miracles. From Pete telling us about Jesus saving the day at a wedding reception by changing water into wine, on through miraculous feedings and healings, to Don Weber last week showing us how Jesus demonstrated both passion and compassion in responding to the desperate need of a father and his boy. And I hope that you've found some favorite take-home points from these and that you've been personally strengthened to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and to have have life in the power of his name. I think that the common theme I've found for myself, but maybe especially in the last two weeks from Pete and Don, was that we don't fix things by ourselves. We bring them to Jesus, and if we do, he brings us closer to himself. But you know, John also says that Jesus did many other miraculous things. So why did the Bible tell us about these specific ones? And the reason is in our theme verses. It's that miracles have meaning. According to John, when the Bible tells us about a miracle, it is for a purpose. Obviously, each miracle is tremendously important in its own right for the person being healed or rescued. But there's more. There's something that we are supposed to take home from it. And surprise, it's not as a textbook of demonology or learning how to do miracles. It's not a formula or a cookbook. For blindness, spit in the patient's eye. It's not magic words. If a child is dead, speak talitakum. Make sure you speak the Aramaic correctly or something bad might happen. And believe it or not, as Don pointed out last week, it is not about measuring our faith by them. You couldn't do it because you didn't have enough faith. How many of you have thought that? As John has said, in all of these, the purpose of these miracles is to turn our attention to God, to teach us something of the nature of God, especially the Almighty's loving compassion to all that they have created. And as fascinating as the miracles are, the more we place ourselves in these stories, we read them and feel them, the more compelling the character of Jesus himself becomes to us. And the more we know of him and the closer we can get to him if we choose to. So I'd like to just pray into that for a minute. Jesus, we want to know you. And we have things to bring to you today and we want to make a move toward you. Help us to see you, and we ask you to touch us in the places we need to know you today. In your name we pray. Amen. I found it really interesting, and I just love it, that even though our theme verses are from the Gospel of John, over half of the stories that we've chosen so far as a team have come from the Gospel of Mark. Because I cannot understate how important this short, fast-moving, 16-chapter story of Jesus has been in my life. I've been consciously following Jesus for about 47 or 48 years now. But 40 years ago, in the summer of 1983, I spent an intensive week at an inter camp doing nothing but poring over Mark in detail with a small group of students. And it was a real turning point in my understanding of the Bible. For me, it was the moment when I saw the whole Bible points to Jesus. And more importantly, it was at this time I truly felt more than any other that I had been with Jesus and spent time with him. This was the transformative experience that is at the heart of any of us being able to love God, love people, and change the world. And that's the purpose of these miracles that we've been talking about. So like our theme verse, I have two purposes this morning. One is to think together about why miracles? Why even talk about miracles in an age of science and technology? And the second is to talk about one specific miracle of Jesus from the gospel of Mark. And I'm going to call it the Ballad of the Wild Man and the Pigs. A single healing of a single person that helps me to continue to believe that Jesus is the son of God and to find life by the power of his name. So why miracles? Some of us might have grown up believing that, or being told that a belief in the supernatural is outdated. That it's just about trying to explain things that primitive or less educated or less technically experienced cultures can't explain scientifically. It was summed up in a famous quote from the science fiction writer, Arthur C. Clarke. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And with this worldview, which permeates our culture through our shared mythologies, like superhero comics and Star Trek, asking for a miracle is like buying a lottery ticket. It's just hoping in a random, low-probability outcome that may or may not happen. And if it does happen, it can probably be explained by something other than a miracle. Nevertheless, who hasn't begged for a miracle? Who hasn't bargained with God out of desperation for something? My own history with the miraculous is far less than stellar. I remember as a lonely, fat, late-blooming 12-year-old after a particularly awful bouts of being tormented by my younger brother and sister about my weight, that I would lie in bed at night asking God what he wanted in return if I could just wake up the next morning at a healthy weight and happy. I never really found out. Pete talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the miracles we hope for versus the miracles that we get and learning to have Jesus-shaped hopes. And it's tragic when we look so hard for the miracle we want that we miss the miracles we actually have. We miss what God is doing around us, and when Jesus' presence is truly with us. When the disciples complained, don't you care if we drown in the story in Mark 4? They were probably looking for him to just get up and pick up an oar, or at least start bailing. I don't think they really wanted a reminder that the Son of Almighty God was present in the boat with them. And like them, in spite of my hoping to see a life-changing miracle, it turned out that when I grew up into a slightly less fat, less lonely adult, I was super uncomfortable when the supernatural started breaking through, or when Jesus wanted to get close to me. It was always a lot easier to love Jesus as a concept or a theological proposition, something where I could satisfy a requirement, check a box, pray a prayer, congratulations, eternal life, no fuss, no muss, no bother. We started coming here in 1995 at a time when there was a lot of focus on the miraculous. People were experiencing the presence of God in tangible ways, what we would call signs and wonders. Some of the things that were discussed this spring in the Empowered series and afterwards, things like healings and tongues and prophecy and so on. Ironically, I was mired in the middle of getting my Ph.D. in neuroscience at that time. And although Anita was profoundly affected and even healed in that time, God did not seem to be changing my life or helping me at all. And I honestly did see some real healings in people, And there were a few times when I let people pray for me and they would have words that seemed to go directly in my heart in really profound ways. But it wasn't getting my thesis done. And most of the time, it seemed to me that people were coming to services just for the thrill of signs and wonders. I have to confess, I referred to it more than once as spiritual bungee jumping. One evening service there were a lot of people on the floor shaking i was hanging out at the back with a guy named dan allfield uh, who was one of the worship leaders at the time and uh, he was also somebody i felt i could relate to because he was had trained as a mental health professional and uh, he asked me so scott what do you think of all this and i confessed something like that to him i said well To be honest, there are times when I would just really like to have these folks in an MRI scanner while this is going on. (laughs) I just want to know what's going on in their brain. You know, it's just the scientist in me. But by then I was also able to tell him, I know this is still something of God. I don't want to lose that either. And that's what it comes down to. It's not either or. It's both and. The God who rules the universe made the brain that controls our bodies and thoughts and feelings. And frankly, he alone understands how this whole thing works. And this is what makes the miracles that Don and I chose to talk about for Mark these two weeks all the more amazing to me. And why this miracle in particular is the one that draws me closer to Jesus. So why miracles? To meet Jesus. And that is where today's miracle story comes in. I asked to preach on this particular miracle, my favorite encounter from my favorite gospel, uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, 1 through 21. But um, the story really begins in chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, the lake in question here, um, excuse me, Uh, so Pete already preached on this four weeks ago, Um, and in this passage, a storm comes up, and everyone except Jesus is absolutely terrified. The disciples yell at him that he doesn't care about them, and he rebukes the wind and waves, and miraculously, there is peace and stillness everywhere. And somehow that is even more terrifying. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerizenes. Now to set the stage, the lake in question is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And just for a bit of scale, uh, it would just barely edge out Lake Vermillion as the fourth largest or the fifth largest lake in Minnesota. So it's not a big lake, but it would be an eight to 10 mile row and not something you want to do in an open boat during a thunderstorm. Um, Definitely not against the wind. Um, But um, it would, would not be a very pleasant situation Um, but one other thing that's really important to point out from this map thanks um, is that so this is the region of the Gerasenes it's named after Geraza this um, town here it's part of a region called the the Decapolis which some translations will call the ten towns which it literally is this is non-Jewish territory This is Greek-speaking territory. Jesus has taken his disciples into hostile lands, alien territory. He has beamed them onto an alien planet, and they are wearing red shirts. And we are about to find out just how alien this gets. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the barrel caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, as a psychiatrist, one reason I'm so fond of this story, not surprisingly, is because to all experiences, it describes a man with a severe mental illness, the kind of person I work with every week. The ancient world's understanding of this was purely spiritual. There was no consensus until several centuries later that even connected this squishy thing inside the skull as having anything to do with thought at all. And as Don said very eloquently last week about another person Jesus healed from apparent brain disease, the idea of possession came more from an understanding that there are evil forces in this world that hate God, that hate us, and the Bible tells us want to only steal, kill, and destroy God's good creation, mostly us. And sometimes those forces are able to severely oppress people, like here in this story. So, Anyone in the mood for a little neuroscience lecture? All right, good. Nobody has said no yet, so thank God. Um, This is a single pyramidal neuron from human cerebral cortex. It was hand-drawn by this man, Santiago Ramon y Cajal. He won the 1906 Nobel Prize for this. He's got that look on, there are better pictures of him, but this is the one I love because it's got that look of somebody who has spent hours looking through a microscope. And um, I had to do some of that, but I never had to hand-draw neurons with ink. And he did thousands of drawings like this. Uh, This is from a now-traveling exhibition uh, from the... um, Museo de Cajal in Madrid. These are gorgeous, hand-drawn. And he got every detail of this neuron. Um, This is the cell body. This is the part that goes up to the surface of the brain. And every one of these little spikes is called a dendritic spine. And that's a place where another neuron connects. You have over a hundred billion of these things inside your skull. That's more than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And they make over 10 trillion connections, which is more than there are stars in the entire universe. Think of that. There are infinite possibilities inside every person's skull. And the thing is, it's not static wiring. It is living and changing and growing. Your synapses, which is what we call these connections that are made on these spines, are going to be different when you leave this room than when you came in, because you experienced things in here. I can have the next slide. This shows a single neuron from mouse cortex and all of the pyramidal type neurons that that one neuron makes connections to with a fluorescent dye that activates with activity. Um, And um, it just shows how unique, how many universes are contained in each individual brain. Even if you are an identical twin with identical genetics to somebody, your brain begins becoming different from that person, even before you are born, because your experiences are going to be slightly different. And every difference that you have in life experience is going to change the way that you are wired. So with something this complex, this intricate, it just feels miraculous to me that it ever works correctly. (laughs) That this ball of squishy stuff is what makes our muscles move, that helps us speak, to survive, let alone to love, to sing, to pray, to worship. And as any engineer can tell you, the more complicated an object the more easy for something to go devastatingly wrong. And I don't think we should ever take from this either that the Bible is somehow wrong about this guy's problem or that all mental illness is primarily spiritual. But what I do take from this story is that if there is an evil force that's devoted to disrupting our communication with God, what better way is there to disrupt that communication than to mess with our brains so that we can no longer accurately perceive the world, perceive God, or control our responses. Anita and I went to a Broadway show called Next to Normal, uh, very powerfully portrayed the dysfunction of a family that falls apart because of a mother's um, bipolar disorder. And um, Partly, it had some good factual material, some problematic material, but, I mean, it was very powerful. And uh, But there was just one song that I thought just summed up all the ways we still struggle to explain and to treat the torment that people feel and um, the struggle that we as psychiatrists have to, to try to explain this to our patients. She sang... They told me that the wiring was somehow all misfiring and screwing up the signals in my brain. Then they told me that the chemistry, the juice, and not the circuitry was mixing up and making me insane. What happens when the burn has healed, but the skin is not regrown? What happens when the cast at last comes off? And then you find the break was always in another bone. They tried a million meds. They strapped me to their beds, and then they shrugged and told me, Eh, that's the way it goes. But finally, you hit it. I asked you just what did it. You shrugged and said, no one really knows. What happens if the medicine wasn't really in control? What happens if the cut, the burn, the break was never in my brain or in my blood, but in my soul? What happens if the cut, the burn, the break was never in my brain or in my blood, but in my soul? So just imagine how this guy might look today. Uh, Dr. Oakman, we got a 35-year-old homeless guy brought in by St. Paul police. He was found screaming incoherently in Oakland Cemetery. Uh, He was unclothed, filthy, has a lot of self-inflicted injury. In the ER, he wouldn't cooperate with treatment. Uh, He's screaming at us to leave him alone and muttering gibberish about demons, being tortured, blah, blah, blah. They attempted to place him in restraints, but he was so agitated, he flipped over the gurney, and he punched a nurse in the face, uh, right now, he's in the seclusion room and he's sedated, but it took six security, three high-dose injections to get him there. You better not go in there alone. Oh, and I'd advise maybe you put on a mask and um, some aromatherapy oils probably because there's no way we've got him in the shower. Would you cross a lake in a storm to help this guy? Most of us would not even cross a street in this guy's direction. And for a Jewish audience, everything about this story is screaming, unclean, unclean, unclean. This is a non-Jewish region among the dead, among pigs and pig herders. This guy is dangerously powerful. Whatever it is that afflicts him is huge. And it's all about destruction and death and absolutely uncontrollable. And this man comes running toward Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. I was thinking about this. This is the first thing we do, too. What brings you in today? What's going on here? Our secret weapon is the open-ended question and listening. And a lot of times, the patient doesn't want what we're offering. It's like, you know, don't help me. Get out of here. Um, but there happened to be in there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. The RSV says clothed and in his right mind. That's how I first read this story, and I just love that phrase clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. And what does Jesus do? Doesn't he stay and preach some more? He's got them believing now. It must be in the palm of his hand. Great time, Jesus. Come on. Jesus gets in the boat, As he's getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. The disciples saw a raging storm turned into calm seas, and it terrified them. The crowd saw a raging wild man made calm and sane, and they respond with fear too, a fear that sent Jesus away. But this wild man is something different. We see something we haven't seen before. The man begs to be able to come with Jesus. And Jesus does something we haven't seen before either. He says no. He tells the man to stay. Specifically, go home to your family and to tell people what God has done, how merciful God has been. Do you see what Jesus is doing? The crowds are afraid of him but they won't be afraid of this man. Will anything happen from this? To be continued. So, was this a demon? Was it an army of demons? Was it bad synapses and messed up neurochemistry? How did Jesus heal him? Was it purely spiritual? Did Jesus command the neurotransmitters to readjust and rewire was a little both, does it matter at all? I think John would say, I don't care. Remember, John wants the take home from this miracle to be that we would continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we'd have life by the power of his name. And we see this Messiah, this King, this Son of God, this incredible teacher, this great power, this cosmic struggle, and we ask, do I matter? Because we've all been in this place where everything is going wrong. We we ask, hey, God, you care about me? And the issue here is, are we just yelling at Jesus in a storm, or are we moving toward him to ask for help? And what do we do when he answers our call for help? He obviously did not answer me with the miracle I wanted when I was 12. But he did start me on an almost 50-year journey of getting to know him, of learning better to recognize when Jesus is present and what those Jesus-shaped hopes are for myself and for the people I care about. One last thing, and this never fails to move me and It'll be a miracle if I can talk about this without breaking up again. Did you notice? The night before, Jesus sets out intentionally to go to the other side of the lake, which is where all this happens. After it's all over, he adds back. Jesus went through all of this He puts his disciples through all of this. The storm, the scary wild man, 2,000 unclean animals and their unimpressed handlers for one person, one unclean, mentally ill, self injurious wild man. The disciples aren't sure he cares, the crowds don't want him to care, and if you ever think he doesn't care, think about this guy. This guy finds out how much he does care. And he knows Jesus is worth everything. This man is healed spectacularly. The affliction that was trying to destroy him is gone. And he's now standing there, clothed and in his right mind. Because he's met Jesus, he has run toward Jesus when others have pulled away. I want to invite the worship and prayer teams to come forward and help us respond to Jesus. We uh, usually end each service with three tips to help us carry the message into the week something to read, something to pray, and something to do. The last time I preached on this passage seven years ago, we were preaching through Mark in sequence. And um, all of these miracles from Mark have come out of sequence. just a teeny bit frustrated. But um, most of you weren't here then. And um, so I just want to challenge you for the reading tip. Um, please read Mark chapters 4 through 8. It is short. Take maybe 20 minutes if you just kind of read it like a quick story. Um, but notice how many of these miracles have come from those f- five chapters. Um, but This starts with the parable of the soils. And all of these miracles are set within that background of the parable of the soils. And you will see that each of them fits in to that parable. Each person represents a type of soil. Are they good soil? Are they hard soil? Are they moving toward Jesus? Or is Jesus just kind of bouncing off of them? So I just challenge you to, to read that and think about how the different people in these miracles are responding to Jesus. Are they moving toward him or away from them? Second, pray. Pray to be made good soil and be ready to respond to Jesus. And then do, make a move toward Jesus. If you need something, run to him. Jesus is not scared of you. He wasn't scared of an unwashed, mentally ill man, he won't be scared of you. Um, You know, if you're struggling with mental illness, I know that people in this congregation have been healed of this. People have been healed of things afflicting their brain. Um, I just was talking to Sandy Person at the break about what God has done in um, her grandson. It's just really amazing since uh, traumatic brain injury that he experienced. Um, And um, you know, also, maybe, maybe Jesus is calling you to get in the boat and cross the lake with him. And maybe God has something for you. It might not be going to the Ukraine with Don, um, but might just be stepping out to move toward a person or a new situation. And um, if Jesus is calling you to that, come up and get some prayer and uh, let Jesus lead you in that direction. And I will let the worship team lead us onward from here. Thank you all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Scott. It's the word of the Lord to us. Let's stand together as you're able.